0: Hi guys, I'm Dominic Rose and uh, this is Dragonheart. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Dragonheart once again. I'm Mark Griffiths. I'm standing in for the longs as neither of them were able to join us today. But Neil Williams, steadfast as he is, is here with us. Hi Neil, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm all right, thank you Mark. A bit chilly but I've got the wood burner going so it's nice and cosy now. Man... The, country, yeah, the been... country
0: squire in his mansion. Not bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you see the size of my living room, mate, yeah, it is it's a mansion.
0: There you go. <laughs> no, we, we've got plenty to chat about, and we will chat about, you know, footy stuff. You know, Wrexham lately, Wrexham next weekend, perhaps. But after this, we're going to come back to that thing, which we started talking about three weeks ago, the troubles yeah. that the club has had before the fans took over so after this having talked about the 2000s we're now moving on to the 2010s i'm harry lennon and this is dragon heart yes so the problems of the 2010s and i think before neil and i go any further i think we've got to make one thing very clear we really don't want to get sued and we don't want on FM to get sued either. So we're going to try and be careful with how we put things. I think that's sensible, Neil, isn't it? I'm, 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 not, I'm not up for litigation at the moment. I don't know if you are.
1: No, very sensible. My bank account's not looking very healthy at the moment. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, obviously, you know, being Disney's Mark Griffiths, I'm sure I can stand you alone if you really know what
1: I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you could with all those fans out there. You could just have a... Just give him page and you'll be you'll be fine.
0: No, I don't. I don't don't need that. I'll just all my my checks now are stamped by House of Mouse. (laughs) (laughs) I'm absolutely fine. Um, But yeah, so we are going to tread carefully here, simply in terms of we want to stick to the facts. And to be honest, the facts are spectacular enough. So we we pick up the story after Hamilton has left. And we have a Knights in Shining Armor coming in after we leave administration in the form of Jeff Moss and Neville Dickens, two local businessmen mm-hmm. who I think it's fair to say, Neil. I mean, they had long-standing links with the club and, and, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite about this because they will turn out to be seen as mm-hmm. negative. But at the time of their takeover, there were very few people who were concerned that them being the ones who took control of the club, were there?
1: No, not at all. Because Neville Dickens had been involved in the club for quite some years, hasn't he, what, in, in minor roles. But yeah, he'd been involved. And as far as we knew, he was a Wrexham fan as well. So, uh, yeah, we were, I think as fans, we were quite happy that, you know, two local businessmen who'd taken it over. And we thought, as you know, for the benefit of, a, of the community in the
0: club. And, and as well to stress, I mean, as, as you say, Dickens had been heavily involved with the club for years. Um, his he Also, his business was selling cars and his main garage at the time was actually essentially at the ground because you had what's now known as the Macron stand going down the Mould Road. You had the Cop going down Crispin Lane and in the corner in between was Dickens' garage. And that will <laughs> yes. become very relevant in this story uh he's still a, a major businessman around Wrexham he still has a Dickens garage in uh Rostockland which uh, for those yep. of you don't know Wrexham is a, a satellite village which is you know literally two minutes outside Wrexham there's, there's barely any uh let up between the edge of Wrexham and the stars of Rostockland uh maybe half a mile at best and uh, and so he was an established businessman and an established name. Uh, Moss was a, a travel agent who had a company, Elegant Resorts, that sold sort of expensive luxury holidays, the sort of thing that a man on Disney's payroll would end up going on, let's be honest. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. sold out to Thomas Cook, which meant that he had... Uh, you know, he'd sold out at the right time Um, and he therefore appeared to be wealthy, very wealthy he had also got a a long history of supporting and helping the club in fact, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying, uh, if if I'm wrong, I apologise, but my understanding certainly is that when Wrexham's goal scoring hero, Juan Ugarte, turned up for his one season of spectacular success, that Moss essentially put him up Because he didn't have anywhere to stay and the club couldn't afford to sort him out. So he also had a son in the youth system and was a very enthusiastic supporter of that. So, yeah, they felt like good, safe hands. But but the club would have problems by getting relegated straight after coming out of, well, around the time of coming out of administration, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, Mm we were the first club, weren't we? We actually deducted points, weren't we? Yeah, yeah which uh, didn't help for our fight for staying in the league and we were on a bad footing straight away.
0: And that was a disgrace, I thought, in in that I understood why the Football League had the 10-point penalty. Absolutely understood it. Mm -hmm. but It was all for the wrong reasons for us. Yeah, exactly. There there was four clubs who would wipe out their debt, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Uh, They could just go into administration, wipe their debt and start again. Um, so that punishment was brought in a 10-point deduction, but we, as we outlined a couple of weeks ago, went into administration to take control of the club back from somebody who was looking like he was going to close it down. So we should have won our appeal against that, I felt, but I think it was political, wasn't it? Brian Mawinney, who was a cabinet member and and ex-chairman of the Tory party, was the head of the Football League, and he brought in this idea of the 10-point penalty, and I don't, you know, politically, it would have looked bad if he brought that in and the first team who were penalised then won on appeal.
1: Yeah, I think we were just made as a scapegoat, weren't we, for yeah. future clubs going into the same situation?
0: And then the galling thing is that we, we have a a downturn, understandably, when we go into administration. The players are, you know, struggling to get paid. There's a little downturn, everything's dark about the club. But the team rally, win the LDB Vans trophy brilliantly, but still get relegated. But and here's the here's the bit that sticks in my throat. We get relegated by less than ten points. Yeah. If if that deduction hadn't gone in, we would have stayed up. And, and that's why, for me, I know it's only a little a little quiet one man protest, but I always consider that relegation a demotion, not a relegation, because for me, we didn't get relegated. We got enough points to stay up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, we come out of administration. Moss and Dickens own the club, and that seems to be an absolutely fantastic resolution. And for a while, things go pretty well. Dennis Smith, the manager, stays with the club, and, you know, we're looking okay. But cracks start to form, don't they, really? And and one of the most surprising things that happened before we even get on to the off-field issues is the decision to dismiss Dennis Smith uh, midway through a disappointing season, no question, but not, I didn't think at the time, a disastrous one. Uh, our off our on-pitch demise, I feel you can trace it back to around then when things really start to go wrong. Am I being unfair, do you think, Neil?
1: No, not at all. No, that's exactly what happened, Mark. I mean, as you say, Dennis Smith got us to the LW fans final, got us to uh, won the trophy with him, and he, he was a good manager. He was a good, honest guy, and I think he really enjoyed been at the club and yeah we had a you know a pretty poor season by his standards but you know we were coming out of administration which made things a little bit more difficult and uh, he worked with what he got really mm.
0: and he started it was odd because the season started spectacularly well and then suddenly collapsed we basically had what six or seven games in which we looked superb we, we scored four goals to win at Sheffield Wednesday that's quite something um, I remember us destroying Grimsby and a 3-0, when Grimsby were the promotion favourites, we won the derby at Chester. We looked fabulous. And then suddenly we went to Accrington and lose 5-0. And it was just totally out of the blue. And then the next game, we go to Stockport, so just Tuesday to Wednesday, to Saturday, and lose 5-2. And it was just from then on, we were poor. But he, he gets sacked in ja- early January after losing to Derby County in the FA Cup in what was, frankly, a, a pretty heroic performance with Derby County yeah. with a strong championship team. They
1: were, uh, I actually went for that game and they, they put on a really good performance. Yeah. You know, we lost 1-0, didn't we?
0: 3-1. 3-1, with a, sorry, my apologies. They, they, um, but, but it was a looper leader. The, the Italian striker scored a hat-trick for them and he was terrific. And if it hadn't been for that difference of them having an excellent striker... Heaven knows what would have happened. Because, you know, they showed what they could do, the Rexham players. Then out of the blue, the next week, Smith is suddenly out. And, yeah, we weren't doing great. But we weren't, I don't think, in danger of getting relegated. And then there was a real problem with who to appoint in his place, wasn't there? With fans assuming it would be Darren Ferguson, but it ends up being Brian Carey. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was quite a bit of a shock when Brian Carey came in with no, no management at all, was he? A lot of really nice chap, really nice bloke. Did a great job as a defender for Wrexham, but uh, had no management experience at all. And you could see, you know, I think he felt took totally me out of his depth and trying to be manager of the team.
0: And it, it was broadly understood. I've never spoken to him myself to ask him this, so I'm wary of saying this, but it was broadly understood that Kerry didn't wasn't terribly enthusiastic about taking the job. He was a club legend, <laughs> smashing bloke, a man with very good sort of. Coaching credentials in terms of the way he was building up his experience, but whether he wanted to be a manager was a moot point. Um, and he was he, it would certainly appear from what I'm told that he was convinced to become manager to help the club out when we had Alex Ferguson's son in the background who wanted to be manager and who would go on to be a manager and now what is it, 17 years, 16 years later, is still in management in the Football League. Um it was a, it was a strange sort of scenario and I, I, I can't pretend to know exactly what the motivation was for it, really.
1: Mm-hmm. I think maybe Mark maybe have been down to money. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe so. Although Ferguson was ready with us, but you're right, it could be what he wanted on top to become a manager. Um, Like I said, I'm not suggesting anything dubious about Kerry in the slightest. not, in fact, suggesting anything dubious full stop over this. Um, Kerry was a smashing bloke, a a huge asset to the club, and a genuine club legend who played so many games for us. And like you said, a real gentleman. And behind the scenes, I think, was valued by people like Dennis Smith as an excellent influence in training and was a Mm -hmm. really good coach in the making. And he continues to work. He's worked for very high-profile clubs, just not as a manager. It's mm-hmm. just, yeah, very much so. this didn't seem, I don't know, didn't seem to be the right call as manager, perhaps.
1: It... I remember he actually came round to, the, I was living in Doddleston, just outside of Chester, and he came round to the house one day. Oh. He was I mean, he was very friends, you know, yeah. Jackie, friends with her, and he came round and he'd never seen beet, fresh Beaches before, and I had a big garden, and I gave him a load of Beaches, and he went home with Beaches, and had Beaches for the first time at the garden. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. And he brought a load of memorabilia with him
0: as well, which was great. A genuinely lovely bloke. Was, definitely so. Very soft-spoken. Mm. And, and a, a, a genuinely expert coach as well. But maybe, like I said, as my understanding, he wasn't looking to be a manager. Um, he has, a, I mean, to be fair, a catastrophic start. Statistically, the worst start in the history of any Wrexham manager, and we do plummet down to being in danger of dropping out of the National League. And then, and again, massively to his credit, he rallies the team, and we had that remarkable end to the season where we looked doomed, but started winning, and got ourselves into a position where we had that last match against Boston United, which incredibly was us or them. Uh, if, if we... Hang on a second. If we drew, we stayed up. If they won... They stayed up. Correct. Incredible last day shootout in front of 13,000 fans at the race course. And a very um, hot day as well, wasn't it? Say again. It was a very hot, warm day as
1: well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, they, they were struggling at the time as well. Boston, where they only bought, what, 250 fans, I think. And, uh, yeah, very hot day. But they took the
0: lead. That's right. They were winning at halftime. And you started thinking, oh gosh, this is it, we're dropping out the football league, this is a disaster, and we mm-hmm. fought back superbly in the second half, didn't we?
1: We did, we did, yeah, with a big goal from Crystal Llewellyn, mm. and he, he lost his shirt and ended up in the crowd. Yes. I, I don't in a red shirt, yeah, that, that was a good day, you know, which kept us up for, for that season anyway.
0: Yeah. It was, it was, there were so many like, iconic moments from that second half, and all the fans pouring on the pitch afterwards to celebrate us surviving was one of them. Um, mm-hmm. so well, in like you say, scoring, <laughs> taking his shirt off to celebrate, and then losing it in the crowd, and a fan giving him his shirt, and him finishing the game in somebody else's shirt that didn't fit him from a different season that was that's quite something of it? <laughs> um, and then, uh, Valentine taking a penalty, Ryan Valentine, yep. Wrexham through and through, from Wrexham, Wrexham fan, finally getting a chance to play for Wrexham, taking a crucial penalty in a game like that in front of a packed cop with his wrong foot. He scored. I mean, yep. At that moment, you think, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll take this with the other foot. Wow, that's calm, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, very good.
0: It was a very good day. Again, yeah, got the other. we won 3-1, but actually in the background of it all are the seeds of what actually makes it, renders it pointless in so many ways. It's odd because that's one of the great iconic games of this century for Wrexham, but absolutely pointless because the next season we're a disaster and we do just go down anyway. So it was only a stay of execution. We didn't build on it. And also, because the truth is, and and let's be honest here, again, the Football League being cowardly in the extreme, Boston were accused of some very serious financial uh, misbehaviour. And they um, essentially were relegated during the match because the Football League held off passing punishments because they were hoping that we do the job for them and relegate them. But Boston, on us, you know, it went into the last game, so they hadn't made an announcement. And during the game, incredibly, they announced, oh, by the way, we're docking points off Boston. So if you look at the table now, it doesn't look like that game was catastrophic for them, because the fact is they actually were relegated during the game with them not knowing. That's quite cowardly, really, isn't
1: it? When they relegated a couple of leagues, though, weren't they?
0: Yes, they they dropped into the National League who also refused to take them because of their financial situation. And that was a, a worrying and dubious situation. I'm not going to say any more about what happened there, but there were real concerns about some people within the club doing things they shouldn't. Let's just leave it mm-hmm. at that. <laughs> yes. yes, again, I don't want to get sued. And it's all on the records. By all means, look it up. But it was so cowardly to leave that. So all that stress we went through actually didn't mean a thing because Boston had been demoted anyway
1: brought a bit of cash into the coffers. That was about it then?
0: Yeah, essentially. And then the next season was just an absolute disaster from start to finish, wasn't it? Kerry, okay. it, unfortunately, things don't go well for Kerry. He is removed. I mean, some of the things you feel sorry for him. He brings in Avion. I mean, this sums up this season for me. He brings in Avion Williams, a player who'd scored prolifically in the Welsh league. And lots of people always say, no, oh, we should bring him in. Um We do bring him in. Um And... First, he looks amazing in pre-season. He scores a remarkable goal against Liverpool where he turns and curls it in the top corner. Everyone's thinking this guy's going to be sensational. Once the real football starts, he can't score for love nor money. And then finally, about oh God, is about 12 games into the season, he finally scores. And in doing so, picks up a muscle injury that ends his career. Bizarre, long clearance by a fan, Pretty right, bizarre keeper, Anthony Williams. Bounces through. The berry keeper comes out, misjudges it. And so Williams sprints onto it and has a complete open goal. And in the act of tapping a ball into the open goal, he suffers some sort of catastrophic muscle injury. Just his muscle goes bang and he never plays again. And that sort of summed up how that season went for me. It was just, it was just dire. Even, even I'll be I, relegated at Hereford's and... The, the, there's games left and we were, do, we were dead in the water before then. We brought Brian Little in to replace Kerry halfway through the season and at the time, I don't know, I think at the point of his appointment, I'd say we were quite excited by that, would you say, Neil?
1: Yeah, definitely so. Yeah, I mean, it did improve for a little while, I think, I believe, the performance, but yeah, it was on the wall that we were going to get relegated that season. Mm. We, we just didn't have the team, we didn't have, you know, we couldn't bring. We didn't bring any. Were we under
0: embargo as well? We no. Yes. Um. Uh, well, not not. I'm not so much down at the thing. There, there were embargoes later. It's the embargo thing's a tricky one. Football league put teams under transfer embargo and often don't publicise it. And so sometimes people never find out. We were definitely under transfer embargo for a spell under Dean Saunders. Yeah. Um. Okay. Later on. Um, I didn't think we were then, but I could be proven wrong, because Little does bring players in, doesn't he? Um, he but the problem is that he um, he comes with a great reputation. I mean, this is a man who's managed at the top level fairly recently, and everyone's excited about him, but he actually was quite outmoded, I think, in his approach, and we got relegated. Like I say, it didn't, didn't make any difference. And then it starts to get a bit weird because a lot of money is spent on retooling the squad, isn't it? He's given a lot of money. Yeah, he he didn't have an embargo because he brought in 13 players in the January transfer window. Doesn't bed the men, really. In the summer, he has a very peculiar retained list where he releases players like Neil Roberts, who are head and shoulders above all the rest of the players in that side. Well, no, that's not fair. Many of the players are head and shoulders above most of the players in our division. And he he, he gets rid of them. the first time Wrexham have released a player of the season, brings in another huge tranche of players, and then fails. And he's gone after about 10 games of our first season in non league. It's all a bit of a mess, isn't it?
1: Total, total mess. But and then Dean Saunders weird? comes in because
0: yes. he's a golfing chum of Jeff Moss, another mm-hmm. big name, Welsh international, you know, many Welsh caps, played for Liverpool, played for Aston Villa. And he's a big name to bring down to our level. Uh, again, uh, a lot of optimism about that. I would say. Neil.
1: Oh, very much so. Because he, he went on to be, was he went on to be the Welsh manager as well, didn't he?
0: No, no, no. He, in his own mind, he did. Oh right, okay, sorry. <laughs> he went to place, you know, he managed at Wolves, so he moved on to our big jobs. But this yeah. is now where the real off-field issues begin. Uh, well, not begin but certainly massively kick in. Um, but again,
1: he didn't have ma- major managerial experience though, did he? So,
0: I mean, he was an assistant to Graeme Souness at some big clubs, but yeah. first job as manager, um, came in incredibly confident, and to be fair, actually, I think, became a bit more humble and became more successful the more humble he got. At first, there was a real air of arrogance about him, um, by the end, you're starting to think actually, fair play. Uh, <laughs> I think he's realised this is not so. He can't just swan and be Mr Big Man and get results. And by the end, I warmed to him a lot more. But yeah, the-, the problems off the picture that we've got to get into now, haven't we? That's what we're really mm-hmm. yeah. warming up for. Um, Moss removes well. Dickens steps aside, uh, leaving boss Moss in charge. Uh, partly because of a conflict of interest, because now there's this big scheme to rebuild the stadium, starting with the cop, and the idea is that there will also be students' accommodation built in like a horseshoe shape around the new a new cop stand, and this will bring money into the club. Dickens steps aside because of the conflict of interest, conflict of interest, because his garage being on that land means that he is going to be a beneficiary of this scheme. So he steps aside, uh, and Moss buys him out. But things start to get a little bit, well, how can I put this, a little bit worrying. The scheme looks great on paper. Uh, a local businessman, hang on, what was Robert, Ian Robert, Ian, not Ian Roberts, no, what's his first name? John Roberts, no. No, well, I've forgotten his name now. Eh? I'll look it up in that's a second. Roberts comes in. <laughs> what the heck was his he's, first name? As, uh, you know, he? So yeah.
1: He's a property developer.
0: Yeah, and Crusaders rugby league team are brought into the ground and th- th- there's a lot of strangeness about that as well. Um, it's painted as something that's going to be good for the club, but it it's hard to see the benefits of it and um, yeah. They're put under this worn umbrella, uh, which means it becomes difficult to track exactly what money is going where and whether the football club's money might be being used mm-hmm. to help the Crusaders out. There's a huge problem over the fact that a big brewer, Green King, sponsors the Crusaders because the Crusaders are put into the, the top league of Rugby League. They certainly um, yeah, are. I
1: actually want to watch them play against Leeds yeah, at yeah. the airports.
0: They were, I believe, Neil, because I'm not a big rugby league or fan or rugby in general, but I believe they were pretty uncompetitive, really, weren't they, at that high level? Big.
1: They certainly were, you know, and Gareth Thomas came and played for them as well.
0: Mm. But they
1: they got a thump in when I went and watched mm. them, you know, but it was a sellout crowd. There was like 10,000 10, there, a good 10,000 there. So, uh, you know, great income for the club, but as you say, I think maybe... We don't know this, but maybe money was being you know, used from the football club to to bolster up the, the rugby league because they had to buy in all these players, sign them on contracts. And how did we end up in, in the Super League when they were only just founded, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is just the whole, the Super League's a bit like the European Super League, isn't it? They'll just bring people in as they choose. A lot of traditional teams were removed until they couldn't go into the Super League or get promoted to it. You know, it was that sort of deal, wasn't it? Um, but it, it was, it seems peculiar the financial problems that Crusaders immediately got themselves into, considering the fact that it was, they were given a free pass into this competition because they were supposed to be a manufactured big club. So it all seemed a bit odd, didn't it?
1: It did, very much so, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was, you know, promotion, relegation, and I, and I just was dumbfounded how we got, you know, levered leave into into the main, you know, Super
0: League, top top league, playing the top clubs, you know? I, I thought there wasn't promotion relegation. Mm. I thought the point was that they created this, like I said, like the European Super League, a, 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 a hermetically sealed top division that was supposed to be permanent big clubs and they would be created as, you know, there's no other club in North West or in North Wales and they would have this yeah, huge catchment area and this franchise would become massive. But yeah, it didn't... They were
1: trying to we're trying to promote rugby league in north wales and you know for a time it did it did kick off you know with with good attendances but uh, mm. as the demise of the team you know the the attendances dropped as well but
0: mm. they got the things strange things happened like this sponsored deal with the brewers green king which it soon became apparent that um wasn't going to be much value to green king and there was a great deal of um concern that what actually happened was that that was then passed on to the football club. We were suddenly tied to Green King. Our shirt sponsorship went to them. It would have seemed mm-hmm. not on very good terms for us, more as compensation for Green King. That was the beer that had to be sold at Wrexham Games. So this idea that some our Crusaders coming in will help us felt like the exact opposite. We had a millstone yeah. round our neck. And a club who weren't able to fulfil their requirements and therefore they were being dropped onto the football club who couldn't then benefit from selling, uh, doing a deal with a brewer or doing a deal for a shirt sponsor because we were saddled with the Rugby League team's failed deals. Yeah, totally Um, agree with you. so, So major issues there. We also had the issue that we were not paying our taxes, and so in April 2011, we get into the playoffs because, and we need to, again, tread slightly carefully with this, we're spending a hell of a lot of players on money on players. Saunders essentially comes in, he rips up Little's team, so we've, we've, we've torn the squad up completely twice in a year. That doesn't get him where he wants to in January, it's the end of the season. So in the summer, he's allowed to rip it all up again. We've got a lot of players on our, our books we're spending a lot of player on money on players' wages. Um, the debts keep mounting up and up. We eventually, in Saunders' third season, get together a decent team. Again, we spend a lot of money on these players, and we get into the playoffs, and essentially we're told that if we don't immediately settle a £200,000 tax bill, we're not allowed to play in the playoffs. We'll just be kicked out. And so that has to happen. So, you know, I think by now, April 2 of 2011, we are seeing there's major problems and cracks in how the club's getting run. I think it's reasonable to say. Saunders gets indulged a lot in terms of his buying, but still, the start of next season, we are at a point where we have massive, massive financial issues and the National League say they don't think that we are going to be able... To To start the season, we we have got to give a guarantee. So we're told we have to pay a bond, otherwise we will be expelled from a national league, and that essentially would mean at that point we would have no team that year, and we'd have to somehow sort ourselves out for the next year, having lost all our players and possibly our ground. (laughs) The owners do chip in for some of it, but of course, Neil, it's a remarkable story how we make up the rest of the money, isn't
1: it? Shortfall of 125,000 shortfall, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, raised by the fans within twenty four hours. In seven hours, in, in seven hours. So yeah,
1: I think even twenty four hours to get the money there because it was the next day. Right. And I know, you know, people put their house mortgages on there. You know, and mm. kids go with savings. I mean, we put money into it, but to be fair, you know, we all got it back at the end of the day. Mm. At the end of the season, it was all done very legally through the solicitors in in, in Rex and McClintock. I think it was. Um, so yeah, but the fans had to raise this money within a short period of time, just so he could function and enter that league that season. And, and like that, I said, that, you know, that says a lot about our fans. And we got to remember, we we only had you know three and a half thousand, four thousand fans coming through the gates at that time.
0: Yeah, exactly. By this point, there's lots of other massive, massive issues off the pitch. I reckon this might be a point to take a break, just so that we can digest it for a moment and then come back to look even more at at this issue. I'm Liam McClendon, and this is Dragonheart. So, yeah, we've talked about those problems, and now comes the the infamous feel-the-love leaflet, because Wrexham have these plans to build the carp, to build this... Uh, horseshoe around and there's massive concerns that this money is not actually going to benefit the club. Um, Wrexham go to an, an infamous uh, planning permission meeting with the council and new fans. This is why Wrexham fans were so edgy about the planning permission that Rob and Ryan applied for. Uh, because this does not go well for us. The plans don't look great. Uh, the, the stand, we've recently been promised a 5,000 capacity new COP stand by Moss and Roberts, but the, the plans have a footprint which appears to have uh, uh, enough room for a 2,500 capacity stand. The student accommodation that will ring around the COP really doesn't leave much room for any other expansion. It's right up against uh, the Wrexham Lager stand, so that suggests that if we tried to expand there, we wouldn't be able to. And quite frankly, um, a lot of people feel that this is prioritising student accommodation rather than the football club. As a result, when there's a planning application and it goes before the council, the trust uh, take advice and suggest that the council should not grant planning permission because it's actually not in the interest of the football club to be able to build the COP and these flats. But there's a major charm offensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dean Saunders, the celebrity manager, comes along to the planning permission meeting, which seems fairly remarkable. And certainly people have suggested that his presence adds star quality and rather bedazzles the, uh, the committee. They wave it through. Fans are concerned, and then we get this infamous feel the love leaflet, distributed when Rex and play Grays Athletic on Valentine's Day, which which makes a number of promises, essentially saying all proceeds from this development will be put into the club. And oh again, I, I gosh, I, I, I just realized I'm gonna try and play you a hospital pass here, Neil, so you can refuse to respond to what I'm about to say, but you know, it's messed with scepticism and, and 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 it doesn't turn out to be the case. I mean, it, it's, but by this point was... now, fans really are concerned and agitating massively because they're worried about what direction the club's ownership are actually taking the club, aren't
1: they? they definitely so. I mean, I think that, you know, all pro all profits and the the proceeds from the building of the flats were supposed to be going into the football club was, was maybe a sweetener for the council, we're not sure, and for the fans to say, look, I'm doing this in the best interest of the club. Um, When in reality, it turned out that it really wasn't, was it, Mark?
0: No, I I mean, (laughs) the thing is that one of the things the Trust were concerned by was that there was a guarantee given to the council, as well as just on this leaflet, saying, we'll put all the the proceeds into the club, but it wasn't legally binding. And that was one of the Trust's main points, was that, if the council are going to allow this permission, this planning permission to go through, they should have insisted on an actual legally binding agreement to make the owners put all that money into the club because we are talking about millions here. If if the club were actually able to retain all the proceeds, uh, we would have been terrifically cash rich. But that doesn't happen. Uh, the development starts. And well, concerns continue to mount. Uh, fans begin to protest. Uh, and I, I mean, my gut feeling about Moss, and I could be totally wrong on this. I think he came in with the right intentions,
1: but maybe got sidelined by somebody else. Uh,
0: maybe, or maybe got sidelined by the fact, as I understand it, that when he sold Elegant Resorts to Thomas Cook, he, took a lot of the payment in stocks, in you know, in shares of Thomas Cook, rather than cash, which at the time seemed a smart move. But Thomas Cook's, well, by November 2011, Thomas Cook's shares had collapsed to uh, three quarters of what the value had been on London Stock Exchange. Thomas Cook would eventually go bust, and he wasn't as wealthy as it seemed, and I think maybe... That that makes one appreciate okay i've got no money now here's as much no, i'm not as rich as i thought uh, maybe i don't want to be so generous with, with what i've with what i have Sorry, I what you're saying
1: i said very good point mark I, I i didn't even think of that at all you know i you know maybe that was the case you know we all know what happened to thomas cook mm. and maybe his all these profits from his company just disappeared overnight
0: i, I mean i i I'm wary of saying this because immense harm is done to Wrexham Football Club in these years and an owner can't wash their hands of that. Um, mm. And I'm, I'm very reluctant to say that it's naivety or anything like that as well. Having said that, there is an element of me gets the idea that you come in maybe with good intentions and then circumstances mean you feel you can't follow through of what you were going to do. There is also a personal element, because the, the protests are angry, Um and he sort of... Oh, gosh. again putting this carefully, he talks about death threats. He talks about poor behaviour yeah. of supporters. Mm-hmm. He says that there was an attempt to burn the building site down. Um... And there's there's some there's some doubt as to the the veracity or the intensity of some of these things, shall we say? But certainly it 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 gets to a point where Moss is sort of versus the fans to a great extent, which is a like I say, it's a weird thing because I was see sort of seeing this and very concerned, but I could also see he was still going to all the away games and things like that, and you sort of think it's 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 a it's an odd dynamic. This now it's it's sad that it's sort of coming out this way, oh, I'm very wary of how I'm going to put it all. To be honest, I, I'm treading on eggshells in touch with this, but...
1: Because the Jimmys resurfaced again, didn't they? And uh, they did a lot of digging and, and delving with regards to what had gone on. And uh, yeah, they, they caused, well, I don't know, you know, it's just rumour had that, they, you know, a lot of the issues were brought up and they were involved in, in you know, in trying to secure the future of our football club again.
0: No, no doubt. So the Dismal Jimmies, who are a, a group of supporters who did brilliant work on, in the Hamilton years uh, behind the scenes and the sort of informed and inquisitive and uh, serious people you need to get to the bottom of issues. And again, they have to do a lot of work and they do expose an awful lot of worrying behind-the-scenes stuff. You need people with those sorts of skills to be able to go through uh, the the legal side of matters to really know where to look to find what's really going on, and they do a remarkable job. The Trust do a m- remarkable job of rallying supporters, of fundraising, um, and of coordinating supporters, and making sure that there is an alternative to private ownership. And also Red Passion does an incredible job. And, and if you were to ask me what Red Passion the fans forum is like now, I would say don't go on it because although there are a lot of good people on it, there's a lot yeah. of just pointless abuse for abuse's sake. It has sadly collapsed in on itself and it's, yeah. a, it's an unpleasant mm-hmm. place. And unless you enjoy yeah. that adversarial thing and just can shrug it all off and laugh at it and throw abuse back, I would strongly advise not going to it. Mm-hmm. Having said that, Years ago I hate saying that because if it wasn't for Red Passion mobilising the fans, especially with things like that bond issue, Neil, we would have no football club. Red Passion saved our football club.
1: Red Passion was a great tool, Mark, to you know, to to band the fans together to let them know what the fans, you know, to to do and yeah, it was a great tool, you know, even with helping when I got the shirts, you know, Mm. it was a great tool to to get the word out there and to get help from various parts of the country where I needed it, and you know, there was a fantastic group of fans on there, and we were all helping each other out all for the, you know, the for the future of our football club. You know, and as you say, you know, it has gone into its dim- dismise over the last, you know, few years. And yeah, I, I don't even go on there anymore at all. Mm-hmm. I met a really lot of nice people on there, yeah, um, who all had the the club at heart, um. You know, and go back to the Dismal Jimmys. you know, they, they did a great job, but you know, the great thing is a lot of us didn't even know who they were.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um,
1: right. And they were very secretive under undercover people who who again had the, the interest of the football club at hard the and they, they did a fantastic job. But yeah, Red Passion in his day was worth his weight in gold because you know it, it brought the fans together. Um you know any kind of protest was organized all on there and everybody knew what was happening. It was cool. a great tool to have in the day.
0: I, I, i really, I mean, like I said, I bit mean, that, that where some some elements of what I'm about to say and uh have changed, but the fact is that the, the dismal Jimmy's, Red Passion, and the Trust, all of them, without, without all three of them, the club would definitely have gone out of business if, yeah, if, if not the so first long. time, then the second time,
1: yeah, definitely. So, without you know, without. The trust and the money that they actually acquired during that time, when you know Moss and Roberts were there, and mm-hmm. you know we were all paying our membership to the trust every year, and that gave them the funds to be able to, at some point in the future, take over the running of the club, and to do it on a you know sound financial basis because the funds are already there in place with them.
0: Um, Moss indicates he's going to sell the club. Um, he he cuts a, a, a very sort of angry and disillusioned figure uh, saying that he he wanted to come in for the right reasons and he feels that the fans have forced him out um, and a string of remarkable characters come in showing interest in buying the club and again Mm -hmm. the fans have to agitate in order to Mm -hmm. uh, make sure that the club doesn't go out of the frying pan and into the fire there's there's an awful lot of weirdness, a awful yeah. lot of strangeness. As a part of me wonders whether that should be the next chapter of this chat, going through the the last embers of the Moss and Roberts era, um, yeah. and the fan involvement, which leads to the trust eventually taking over. But it was a shame, uh, and it was also a worry because I said before about the, the proceeds of the the flats and the uh, student flats going to benefit the club. Well, well, let's let's just break that down a little bit now we'll break it down more maybe next time we talk about it well the cop stand does not get built one part of the student accommodation gets built around one corner the opposite corner of neville Dixon's dickens owned so not that one the one on the other end of the cop and the money doesn't go into the club but um essentially moss writes off his debt but it's a debt that he has piled up and he says that's the payment but it's essentially I would argue a leveraged buyout i.e. the the club's assets then are used to pay for the takeover and you know it it leaves a bad taste in the mouth the way it's all done Uh, managers were indulged with enormous budgets which then become you know, oh, the 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 debt has now been matched, so I don't have to give any more money to the club. And you've got to ask yourself why so much money was spent on players. I mean, although I'm slightly jumping the gun, Saunders will walk out very suddenly when Moss leaves, essentially signalling no trust in oh. fan ownership, uh, and you know that reflects poorly on him. Although I, you know, I think to be fair, he's a football man who was fed one side of it by his friends and and buys it, but he leaves us badly in the lurch, and um, we're hideously in the mire with the student accommodation plunked on on our land. It's not a great situation to be in, Neil.
1: Yeah, because it first started on the car park, really wasn't it? On mm. that's where they first started building with. I mean, the, the football club used to have a decent sized car park mm. at the back of the ground, you know, and. And now, what, there are four sets of flats on there now? Um, And, and yeah, it just put a bad taste in your mouth seeing those flats there. And it did to a lot of fans, I think.
0: And I'll be honest, there's little details that I know don't really matter, but it it leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth when I go there and see that one of the blocks of flats is named after John Neal, one of our absolute legendary managers, because because those flats are something which damaged our club irreparably. And sticking John Neal's name on it D- doesn't make her okay, and I don't. Li- I don't like that. <laughs> you know, name s- something substantial should be named after a man of the stature of John Neal, not something which gets named after him as a PR exercise.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's right next to the football stadium. I'm assuming now the university owns those flats,
0: or not. They look- Aren't they looking to... S- uh, oh, nah, I'm go- oh, you know what, I'm going to have to double-check that. I'm not going to answer that question. Okay, okay. I, I feel like I know the answers I, of that, but I'm was slightly wary. It would,
1: it would make a lovely hotel is what I was thinking. That was all. O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: there is one little interesting point to come from that, which is that, look, our owners now clearly still want to be... you know, They don't want to just be sugar daddies hurling money at something willy-nilly yeah we've got to cost things out we've got to work as a business otherwise Mm -hmm. you end up in a Roman Abramovich situation where when he goes if you don't find another billionaire you go pop so that's right and sensible um Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I do think that you know the fact they have you know wealth is why one major problem for the last 10 years for Wrexham seems to have sort of gone away there was a sense as well that places like Dickens's garage were essentially what people would call ransom strips. The idea that you you can't really develop the grounds because certain parts, key areas around the ground aren't owned by the club. Mm -hmm. And I think, fortunately, our owners are of such a stature that they, they can just make that problem go away by saying, well, okay, well, we'll cough up for this, that and the other. And that'll all be done as part of a deal. And what was an insurmountable financial problem essentially melts away, I think. So, but yeah, the, the, the ownership of those, who knows? Maybe in some future world, it'll, be co- it'll become a, a, a block of flats. Not necessarily a great block of flats, but a block of flats nevertheless.
1: I think of a more of a hotel for all the oh, sorry, these, yeah. foreign, these foreign supporters is coming over. I think there's 57 coming over from Canada this weekend. Really? Yeah, in one group.
0: Well, in that case, as long as we've got the helipad on the roof, <laughs> yeah, for the owners. Yeah. <laughs> and the Rob and Ryan luxury suite on the top three floors. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> right. Although, t- to be fair, Neil, if you were to show your your terrific commitment to the club by t- travelling transcontinentally to come to a Wrexham game, do you really want to be in student accommodation?
1: Yeah, but you know, you'd know, upgrade it, Mark, wouldn't you, into a really nice,
0: plush hotel. How do you upgrade it? Uh, well, the structure's there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, right. I remember student accommodation.
1: Oh, it's changed since your day, Mark. Come on. That's a few years ago. Yeah, that's right.
0: They have electricity now. They do. They do. They do. I remember the key thing about student accommodation was that you could exchange the doors of the rooms if you had a screwdriver. (laughs) And so one night, uh, one one of my mates... He went out. Everyone knew he was going to be coming back about 11 o'clock. That was his routine, where he went off to the student bar. So a few of us, armed with um, a screwdriver, screwdriver, jemmied our way into his room, removed the door, replaced it with one of our doors, so it looked exactly the same. But before we closed it, we... Um, no, we didn't close it, beg your pardon, because then he wouldn't get in, would he? But we removed all his furniture and hid it in lad next door's room. And then we hid... Mm-hmm. Behind the door, giggling and waiting for this lad to turn up, find his doors empty, open, and then walk in and find that his entire room is empty. A classic Jape. Of course, the problem with student accommodation architecture is that often, and certainly where I was in Liverpool, um, you've got glass, you like a glass, like a sort of central atrium of glass around it. Mm-hmm. And so you could see all the other parts of that floor and the other floors if he looked across, and so he happened to be in another floor of the student accommodation, saw what we were doing, and decided he'd just go and kip on his mate's bed, and never came back. There you go. So, so we sat there till two in the morning, giggling less enthusiastically as the night went on, and finally had to give up, and found out in the morning that he'd played the trick back onto us, and he was there demanding that we give him <laughs> all his stuff back, which we did do. Project.
1: Why would he change
0: somebody's door, for goodness sake? Why wouldn't you? I was a I was a, an art student. I had a lot of time on hands. I mean a <laughs> lot of time on hands, you know? In the last why? year of my degree, I was in one morning a week. That was it. Wow.
1: why would you take screwdriver with you to uni anyway if you're an art student? To
0: remove people's doors. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know nothing of higher education? (laughs) We never did that when I went to college, you know?
1: We were all, you know, happy for our rooms and liked our rooms, but never thought about taking off each other's doors.
0: I hate happy people. (laughs) (laughs) So basically it all backfired on you, Mark, when he he saw you doing what you were doing, so... Yeah. It was shameful. And that's I don't want to see our Canadian cousins submitted to that. You know? Okay, I, I, just I, think it would
1: benefit. I just think it would benefit the club a lot more than just having student flats there, you know.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, the not being there would also be a huge benefit to the club. But oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> true. yeah, very true. Should we stop this next week, uh-huh. we'll polish off the end of the Moss Roberts era and the the. The, the the gallery of characters that came to try and buy the club, some of which are jaw dropping. They are. They uh, they much so. Absolutely. Uh, and also how the trust ended up buying the club. Um, we'll do that next time. Should we after okay. this have a, a quick chat about actual football? I think we probably should.
1: I think we should too. Yeah, very much so.
0: I'm Luke Young, and this is Dragonheart welcome back. Final part of the show, the magic of the cup on Saturday. Neil, are you excited? Yeah, mildly excited, but
1: for me, it's a league. You know, yeah. yeah, it's been nice to get through to the third round of the FA Cup, and who knows who you draw. But uh, you know, when, I know Farnborough are doing pretty well in their league at the moment. Mm. Um, really? You don't want to get injuries, do you? Do you yeah. play a full strength squad and start with a full strength squad, and then you know bring players off the bench? Mm. Or do you bring out a second string of players? But it depends how seriously we want to take this this game, Mark.
0: I my gut feeling is seriously. Um, I'm just checking. I thought Farnborough were doing quite poorly.
1: I need to I check they had this. Had a, they had a good win at the weekend, I think. All oh, right. All oh, beg your pardon. Um, was that the weekend before? I, yeah, I the oh, him. yeah. You're
0: right there. Since the draw, they've picked up because they were near the bo- very close to the bottom weren't they, when the draw was made. But they've uh-huh. picked up to 15th place now, unbeaten in six. Yeah. Yeah. Fair play. Um, having said that, oh, and also they don't let many goals in looking at this. 17 games, 17 conceded. That's decent. There's only about three or four teams who've conceded fewer, although they've only scored 16 in those 17 games. Only one team outside the bottom four, apart from them, has scored the fewer. So, okay. <laughs> Bit of a strange one for them, but they look difficult to beat at the moment.
1: Yeah, I, I- mean, the, the manager did a quite a long interview, but I think that was before it was decided on whether he's going to be on TV or whatever. And he's saying that they, you know, they've, they've only ever travelled to one game this season on the bus. Can they really afford to get a bus up to Rex? And what they really like to do is stay overnight, but. But he was quite negative about it, you know. He says it is going to be a tough game for them. Um, it'll be a good money spinner for them. Mm. Um, but he seemed to be downplaying their chances in his interview, which I thought was, you know, for the players, you know, because all the players have got to get time off work. We said, all, they're all got full time jobs as well. So um, it's a big game for them. And I'm sure they'll bring a good support. But uh, I think Rexham would just be, if, if we start with our full, you know, starting eleven as we did on Saturday, will be just, I would hope, a lot
0: better than they are and score a few goals. You'd expect but, that, wouldn't you? And I would expect us <laughs> to pick a, a very strong team for the simple reason that this game, you win this game and you could potentially have a, either a, a home tie against a big team and a chance to really make the headlines or an away tie against a really big team and a chance to make an absolutely shed load of money and also make the headlines. You know, uh, you're probably looking... You're looking at a heck of a lot of money, especially if you're on TV, if you get drawn away to Man United or somebody like that. that. So... And I think you would be on TV because seeing, you know, us in our current state playing against a big side with the potential of an upset would really draw in the, the crowds, wouldn't it?
1: Oh, definitely so, you know, especially especially if he's live on television, Mark, you know, we've already mm. got the, the audience, as I said to you earlier, we've got, I've read on, you know, there's so many coming over from from North America for this game because they're able to get tickets for And there's, mm. there's one group of 57 Canadians coming over, which, are, which is phenomenal, you know, mm. it's incredible. That's it's incredible. It feel, feels like we're, we're in a dream, you know, that mm. uh, is this all really happening?
0: <laughs> it, it, it really is, isn't it? And when you, as that's why I expect it to be pretty much 100% full strength. Okay, mm-hmm. if there's somebody with a bit of a, da- a, a, a knock, we do have the luxury of a strong squad, but I don't think that it'll be beyond, you know, protecting a player. I don't think we'll be looking to give players a run out. You know, say, I'd like to see Jordan Davis start a game to get some more minutes in his legs. I'd like to see O'Connor get it with some more minutes in his legs. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see Kluwerth getting some time back on the pitch, but I don't think that will happen in this match unless there's somebody to protect. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you know, how, how stupid would we look if we rotate at this point and lose?
1: Farnbury, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we all saw what happened against uh, Blythe, didn't we? you See, Yeah. You know, yeah. We you know, up, took our foot off the pedal and, uh, you know, they,
0: they were very close to, to getting a draw with us. Uh, we, we had a devastating first half in that second match in which we deservedly took control of the tie and went through. But the other three halves of that those two games, at worst, Blythe were our equal, if not our betters. So we were fortunate yeah. in that, weren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't you know. see us making any major changes at all. We will have an FA Trophy match against Gunthorpe coming up soonish. That's the game, I think, where we make alterations, Um, and equally I think that might be the game where we find we're losing at home because Scunthorpe may well take it seriously. They might not, I suppose, close to relegation. They might decide they don't care about the trophy. But I think we will be looking to make wholesale changes in that game and that will make us vulnerable. But this this one on Saturday, I think it's full steam ahead, isn't
1: it? Yeah, I totally agree with you, Mark. Yeah, I mean, the Scunthorpe game is... We don't need need to be in the fa trophy this season to be honest i don't think uh it's just uh you know it takes our mind or or takes the sight off us you know going for promotion really and you can get injuries and you can get to far from places again but yeah the sooner we better we're out of the fa trophy the better
0: (laughs) spoken like a true survivor of wembley Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and well done, all of you guys, because you are true survivors of Dragonheart this week as well. I reckon it's time to knock it on the head, Neil. Neil, yeah, as always, know. an absolute pleasure to share the show with you, and um, um, I look we'll forward to us going to. through the grim days and finally knocking that on the head next week yeah. and be able to just look forward. Look forward. Yeah, yeah look exactly. Forward, nice one. Brilliant stuff. Remember, everybody, we'll be commentating live on Wrexham Player on Saturday and all the usual good stuff and then we'll be back to Calon with another Dragonheart to look back on the week so adios muchachos this, in the words of Che Long was Dragonhearts I'm Aaron Hayden
1: and this is Dragonhearts